Today's gospel reading comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 5, starting with the first verse. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, and one, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of this word today. Amen. I feel like we need to have Allende come back and play the djembe every time we transition between worship elements. I think it would give us a lot of hype here. Yeah, a little skidamarinky dink. I'm going to grab a stand today. Like I've told you before, if I don't wear heels, sometimes the, um, the pulpit gets a little tall for me, and especially after dancing, my calves can't handle tiptoes for that long. <laughs> Well, over Christmas break this last year, one of my best friends from college was in town with her six-year-old daughter, and we decided to go, uh, I think along with three-quarters of the population of Columbus, to the wild lights at the zoo. It's bananas. Don't, don't go before Christmas. Wait till after Christmas. It's a pro tip. Like New Year's Day, best time to go to wild lights. But... Now, so I'm not going to claim ever that I am a perfect parent, far from it, but what I can do in my parenting is use my own traumatic experiences from my childhood to freak my own kid out. That's what parenting is, right? So hear me out. When I was little, my mom took my brother and I to the IX Indoor Amusement Park. Do you sing the song in your head when you hear it? IX Indoor amusement park. See, there's some of you from like northeastern Ohio who sing it, and the rest of you are like, she's lost it. She's losing her mind. Pastor Brian went there like at least every year. Kristen, how many times have you go there? A million? <laughs> but you, you know the song. That's all that matters. <laughs> so my mom took my brother and I to the IX Indoor Amusement Park, and uh, times were a little different then. Clearly, my brother, who is older than me, wanted to ride a ride that I either wasn't big enough to ride or was too scared to ride. And so my mom set me down and she said, we'll be back. But like I said, times were different then. Now, the details for me are a little fuzzy, as trauma can sometimes do for us. Uh, but uh, what I remember is that somehow I thought maybe too much time had passed or they had clearly abandoned me, forgotten me, and so I got up from where my mother had left me and I started searching for them. Bad idea. Yeah, bad idea. 
So now, whenever I go public places with my kid, like the zoo lights that night with all of Columbus, Ohio, I make sure to give her a plan for what happens if we get separated. And inevitably, one piece of the plan, after my traumatic experience at the IX Indoor Amusement Park, is that I get down on her level, and I tell her that if she gets separated from us, that she should stay where she is. Because we will always look for her. So today's the first Sunday in Lent. The spiritual journey towards Easter that we began on Ash Wednesday and throughout this season of Lent, we will follow in the footsteps of Peter, who is often thought of as the leader of the disciples of Jesus. And in him, we will see a person who is both steadfast and unsteady. He's both a dear friend and a denier. He is a follower and a wanderer. And so instead of doing what we often do, looking at Jesus through our own eyes, in this season of Lent, we will be invited to see Jesus through the eyes of a very human person who was, in real time, trying to figure it all out. Reverend Sarah Speed speaks of learning about Peter like reading a novel, but that you were reading the novel with the chapters all out of order. She shares that Peter, to her growing up, was nothing more than a background character in vacation Bible school skits about Jesus. But as she grew and studied, she says, I saw myself in Peter. Peter was a Jewish fisherman in Bethsaida, a town on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and he was named Simon and was the son of Jonah. He fished for a living with his brother Andrew, and he also fished with James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now, before we get to today's gospel lesson, let's back it up just a few verses. So you know me, I ask if you brought your Bible with you, you can get it out. Turn to Luke chapter 4, and in verse 38, you would hear, After leaving the synagogue, he, Jesus, entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about, and they asked him about her. Then he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Immediately, she got up and began to serve them. So this implies that Simon, as we'll call him for now, was married. We don't hear anything about his wife, so maybe he was widowed. We don't really know for sure. We can also reasonably assume that because of the healing that happened in his home, that by the time we get to today's gospel story, Simon had either crossed paths with Jesus or had at least heard of his preaching and healing. And so we get to today's gospel lesson. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, another name for the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. Here Jesus is doing what Jesus does, proclaiming the good news of the coming kingdom. And I find it so interesting that even though Simon is not alone in his fishing efforts, Jesus speaks directly to him. When he had finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long and have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. 
And when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Can you imagine having worked hard all night and having some literally self-righteous carpenter come and tell you how to do your job as a fisherman? And yet Peter does as he is told. Maybe he's remembering his family member healed by this man and has a seed of trust. Or if nothing else, he's at least curious. And can you imagine being Simon who, after cleaning his nets and calling it a day, then does what this guy tells him and then catches so many fish that his nets are about to break? Simon seems like a reasonable guy at this point. And for the very first time this last week as I was reading and studying, I heard this story in a new way. Instead of hearing of the nets so full that they were breaking as a sign of abundance, I heard it with panic. Can you imagine having your whole livelihood in the practice of fishing and some guy comes and gives you so many fish that the nets are starting to break? They're obviously caring for the tools of their trade. They're washing the nets and now they're breaking. What are they supposed to do tomorrow, Jesus? You broke all of our nets. How are we supposed to earn a living? Though this story appears in all three synoptic gospels, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke's gospel captures this story in a unique way with the response of Simon to this encounter. Responding to it all, Simon doesn't say, wow, Jesus, you're really wise and powerful. Send me out to do your will. Not at all. Instead, as a response to hearing Jesus' wisdom as he teaches and seeing his power and authority even over the fish of the lake, Simon tries to send Jesus away from him. Now, in the world in which Simon is located, it's natural to respond to the presence of the divine in this way. Faith, which is described oftentimes as fear of the Lord, is on full display in Simon's humble imperative. Now, we tend to think of confession of sin as a formal practice, something that we do before we receive God's grace. But in this story, Simon receives grace first and then confesses his sinfulness. Wesley Allen Jr. writes, Instead of trying to persuade God to address the fact that we are woefully and painfully mired in the human condition, when we realize God has addressed our condition, we are able fully to confess where we are mired. And you know what? It's when Simon names his unworthiness to be in Jesus' presence that Jesus calls him. So now let me take a minute to talk to the family. This is for the people who've been around a while. If you're new here, we love you. We're so glad you're here. And if you're comfortable, you can hear these questions from you know, a previous faith experience if you have a similar experience. But if it doesn't apply to you, it's fine. Just listen in. We don't have secrets in this family. But to you, family, how many of you have been asked to serve because of something you do? Maybe you're a teacher, so we want you to teach Sunday school. Maybe you're an accountant, so we want you to be on the finance committee. Maybe you're handy. We want you to be a trustee. How many of you have heard an ask like this? Okay. And there is great wisdom in putting experts where expertise is required. But what we have here happening in the story is so different. Simon, at least for this one day, is acknowledging that he's kind of crappy at his job. 
In fact, the very reason that Jesus can get into his boat to teach is because there are no fish in it. Jesus is not calling Simon because he has great expertise at fishing in this one instance. Jesus is saying that just like Simon can catch fish because Jesus equipped him to do it, that Simon Peter can catch people because Jesus will equip him to do it. Now, contrary to what you might be thinking, this is not just one big ploy to fill our committees. Though if you'd like to serve, we can probably find a place for you. This is meant to remind you that when you are stuck, when you feel helpless, sometimes even when you feel skeptical, that is when Jesus finds you. It's almost as if Jesus is telling us that if we feel lost, we should stay put. Stay where you are. Jesus will always find us. We talk so often about following Jesus, but we don't often talk about how Jesus pursues us. Just a few weeks ago, Pastor Jean shared a bit of Francis Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven. It's a beautiful and endearing poem about how God's love pursues us. But have we ever really pondered how Jesus pursues us? Just like Jesus sought Simon right where he is, Jesus seeks us too. And the most powerful telling of this seeking that I have ever read comes from best-selling author Anne Lamott. So I'm going to share a bit of her story. She tells this story in her book, Traveling Mercies. And um, I'm going to start this story about halfway through. At this point, you should know she has been in the throes of addiction. She has been drinking and self-medicating in rapid succession. And she tells of uh, this night in particular where she's having a medical complication that resulted from her life choices. So hear her story. She writes, I got in bed, shaky and sad and too wild to have another drink or take a sleeping pill. I had a cigarette and turned off the light. After a while, as I lay there, I became aware of someone with me, hunkered down in the corner. And I just assumed it was my father, whose presence I had felt over the years when I was frightened and alone. The feeling was so strong that I actually turned on the light for a moment to make sure no one was there. Of course, there wasn't. But after a while, in the dark again, I knew beyond any doubt that it was Jesus. I felt him as surely as I feel my dog lying nearby as I write this. And I was appalled. I thought about my life and my brilliant, hilarious, progressive friends. I thought about what everyone would think of me if I became a Christian. And it seemed utterly impossible that this would ever be allowed to happen. I turned to the wall and I said out loud, I would rather die. She continues, and I felt him just sitting there on his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft, watching me with patience and love as I squinched my eyes shut, but that didn't help because that's not what I was seeing him with. Finally, I fell asleep, and in the morning, he was gone. This experience spooked me badly, she writes, but I thought it was just an apparition born of fear and self-loathing and booze and a loss of blood, but then everywhere I went, I had the feeling that a little cat was following me wanting me to reach down and pick it up, wanting me to open the door and let it in. But I knew what would happen. You let a cat in one time, you give it a little milk, and then it stays forever. 
So I tried to keep one step ahead of it, slamming my houseboat door when I entered or left. And one week later, when I went back to church, I was so hungover that I couldn't even stand up for the song. And this time I stayed for the sermon, which I thought was just so ridiculous, like someone trying to convince me of the existence of extraterrestrials. But the last song was so deep and raw and pure that I could not escape. She says it was as if the people were singing in between the notes weeping and joyful at the same time. I felt like their voices or something was rocking me in its bosom, holding me like a scared little kid, and I opened up to that feeling, and it washed over me. I began to cry, and I left before the benediction, and I raced home, and I felt that little cat running along at my heels as I walked down the dock past dozens of potted flowers under a sky as blue as one of God's own dreams. And I opened the door to my houseboat, and I stood there a minute, and I hung my head and I said, I quit. I took a long, deep breath and I said out loud, all right, you can come in. Anne talked about the music in church and honestly, I've felt the same at times in church singing. Some of our most powerful theology comes from and is communicated through our hymns. And one of my favorites, and we're, we'll spend some time through this uh, with this as we journey through Lent, is uh, Robert Robinson's Come Thou Fount. And today I can't help but think of the line, Jesus sought me. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the heart of God. John Wesley, who's the unintentional founder of our denomination, wrote and preached about this. He called it, Provenient grace or grace that goes before. According to Wesley, this grace is all that is wrought in the soul by what is frequently termed natural conscience. So, what would it look like if we just stopped trying to outrun the cat? What if we just let it in? Gave it a little milk? It might stay around. How would our lives look different both as individuals and as a community if we stopped believing that we had to be put together or successful or faithful before we came to Jesus and instead we lived in the truth that Jesus seeks us? We may feel scared or abandoned or tempted to run around shouting, but sometimes Jesus just tells us, like I do with my kid, I think of Jesus getting down on our level and just saying, if we ever get separated, just stay where you are, because I will always come looking for you. Amen.